Thank you for joining the Leadership Podcast with me, Sim Dendy. It's great to have you with us. Leadership is challenging enough when things are going well, but when the challenges come, and yes, they will, how do we stay healthy? How do we keep our mind and our well-being in a good place? In these first few episodes of the Leadership Podcast, we're exploring the challenges of leadership and our well-being. We have some amazing guests for you to listen to and learn from. Can I encourage you, however you are listening to this podcast, to please hit subscribe now so that you can automatically get all the future episodes. I would also love it if you could rate or write a review. This will be so helpful as we start out. If this content is helpful to you, then it's probably going to be helpful to others. So please do share on social media and we can start building a leadership community. Our first guest to join us on the Leadership Podcast is Dave Smith. Dave Smith became a Christian while studying at Oxford University, where his life was radically transformed as he sought to put God first in everything. He went on to complete a doctorate in church history, studying the 18th century evangelist George Whitfield. He and his wife Karen founded Kingsgate Community Church in Peterborough in 1988. Now it's a large multi-site church across various cities as well as online. Dave is an avid Manchester City supporter. He also loves to read, cycle and spend time at the gym, which is where he says he gets the best opportunities to share his faith. In 2018, Kingsgate celebrated its 30th anniversary and all these years later, Dave is as excited as ever at all that lies ahead. The best, he says, is yet to come. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for joining us today. Let's jump straight in and ask the question, how did it all begin on your journey of faith? Yeah, well, hi, Sim. Great to be chatting together. So I I grew up in a secure Christian home. Um, My dad was actually a a chaplain at a Christian community in Liabi. So it was a wonderful kind of place to grow grow up. Moved uh, into the home counties at, at nine and then went through an absolutely massive sort of teenage rebellion. Never became a Christian when I was younger. So there wasn't even like the seed of the spirit or the word in my life. And so I just went completely off the rails. <clears throat> Won't tell you all the, the gory details of that. Um, but went up to Oxford. Uh, and then after about five weeks, some friends who I connected with were part of the CU, you know, unbeknown to me. Uh, they were praying for me. So a little bit of a thing, let's keep praying for our non-Christian friends. And they invited me along to St. Aldate's, which uh, if you don't know, is like a you know, large student church in the centre of Oxford. Went all the way through the service, couldn't tell you anything about it, was probably a bit bored with it. And then as the final hymn was being sung, I think I must have known the hymn from my childhood. I was singing away and suddenly I just sensed this incredible presence just come all over me. It was like I felt a heat. Uh, I was trembling. I felt this, this almost sense of an invisible love just come over me. And it was like the Lord saying, you know, I've always been knocking on the door of your life, but here I am right now. And it was almost the first time I had a real tangible encounter with the presence of God. So I went out quite shaken. And because of the sort of trajectory of my life then, 
kind of lifestyle stuff, I wasn't kind of ready to surrender. I knew it would cost me. <laughs> I knew I had to make some choices and make some changes. And I think in one sense, it was quite good because I had to count the cost. And then after about seven months, went down um, actually with the church, not yet saved, to a student house party, almost, I think, with the, the aim of I want to become a Christian. And, uh, you know, long story short, again, I, I opened my life to the Lord on that house party, sensed him come in, forgive me, cleanse me, fill me with a peace and a purpose I never imagined was possible. And it was one of those just radical, radical conversion experiences that as you know, I've been living in the good off for the last 38 years, I think it is. <laughs> so you had an absolute encounter with God, but didn't choose to say yes to him straight away. There was months went by of just exploring still. Very much so. Yeah. And, and I think that was just back to. It's this whole mix, isn't it? The sovereignty of God. God was calling me, but I think I was resisting, to be honest. And so so I actually backed off a bit from some of those friends because it was getting a bit too close to comfort, carried on sinning, as it were. But just, you know, thank God for, depends whether you're Calvinist or Arminian, his, his grace, whether it's irresistible or resistible. But I knew that God was drawing me and, and I opened the door. Yeah. And so you obviously got stuck into church life and into community life there at St. Aldate's. Yeah. So, so I initially went to St. Aldate's, you know, was pretty committed, went to their early morning uh, midweek communion service, just had a hunger for the things of God and then ended up sensing I needed something more. There was Snowdates is an absolutely incredible church, but I ended up in this small, pretty crazy, charismatic house church. It was in the days of the sort of house church movement on the edge of Oxford, only about 30 people. And it was just wild and wacky. And I ended up getting baptized in a bath, um, you know. And, and I think it was almost something of the Lord shaking me a little bit, not just from my sinful roots, but even some of maybe just a bit of religiosity had picked up. And so God was freeing me and um, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, really got in a, a new sense of the love for the word of God and begin to sense the calling of God into leadership. Yeah. So, so what took you from uh, a student in Oxford um, encountering God in a fresh way to suddenly planting a church in Peterborough, which is almost the other side of the country? What was yeah. that process? Well, the person who was kind of overseeing the church in Oxford, a guy called Simon Matthews, who headed up something called Plumline, which was one of the sort of new church connections, um, was based over in Huntingdon. And so, you know, I think obviously saw a call of God on my life. And uh, the, the church in Oxford was kind of coming to the end of its tenure. The, the, the founding leader had, was moving away. And although I was involved in helping a little bit there, we decided to close the church down there. And we moved over to Peterborough, based a plant near to where the kind of the headquarters of this movement were. And we had a number of options. You know, was it going to be Bedford, Cambridge or Peterborough? And, you know, very much, you know, between in conversation sensed it was it was Peterborough city. We'd never thought of going to didn't know anybody or all, all we knew about it was it had a passport office and a ring road. It was flat and it was a long way away from home. So. Amazing. So we ended up with no real leadership training, but with some, you know, good support kind of thrown into this city at 25, you know, very little money, uh, very little prospects, <laughs> put it like that. And you uh, and Karen were married at this time? You met in Oxford? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so we, we, we met actually in my gap year before I got saved. 
at a baggage queue at Heathrow Airport going out to kibbutz. So that's how we met. Um, <clears throat> Karen, got, Karen actually went to uh, Holy Trinity Brompton and got saved about six months after me on one of the very first Alpha courses prior to Nikki Gumbel taking it over. So kind of right back in those days. And um, yeah, so we got married, uh, I should know, yeah, 1985. Uh, and then by the time we moved to Peterborough, um, we had a six month old baby. So we moved to Peterborough uh, with basically the three of us. And um, we had a few others join us to start with. So we started off with nine people um, and the, the church sort of grew up to 15. And then after 18 months, we have what I call a backdoor revival. All the people who came in moved out and we ended up with six of us. There was myself, Karen, our baby daughter and three other people, none of whom were leaders. And I kind of was at one of my sort of potential quitting moments, the ministry. It came really early on. I, I remember saying to the Lord, <clears throat> Lord, I can't build this church. And it was almost like I sensed heaven smile. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I sensed the Lord saying, good, I'm glad we've got that one settled. <laughs> you know, yeah. Jesus, of course, said, I will build my church. So I think there was a breaking and a dealing with self. I'd kind of, you know, been pretty successful in academia, pretty, you know, used to doing well in life. And I think just realizing I was doing something, I leading church and I couldn't make it happen. And I think something broke inside of me positively and almost a sense, well, Lord, if, if this is going to happen, you know, this is going to have to be a, a partnership. So yeah, that was a key, key moment. And so I decided not to quit because <laughs> the Lord wouldn't let me and things began to turn. And it's so helpful to hear that story, Dave, because I know many people will see Kingsgate now and you're thriving and you've got high energy and you've got multiple sites and it can look like we've got this thing absolutely down. We know what we're doing. But hear those stories of travail, of, you know, disappointment. Of, I mean, we don't want you to have to go through that, but so many times that is the story, isn't it, of, of difficulty before success. 100%. And, and, and tell me as well, I remember one of your stories, you tell us about one of the, you, you had various venues you used to rent and you had one venue you used to rent where you had prayer meetings under the stage while you preached. Yes, absolutely. So, so a lot of, I do think days of struggle can be days of uh, investing for the future, whether it be a time like this or a time like, you know, it was back then for us. And so I, I really sense those early days were about root work rather than fruit work. You know, if you, can't, if you come to us, you know, we grew to about 25 after four years. I remember talking to a good friend who leads up another um, sort of UK sort of denomination said, well, if you were in our, if you were in our denomination, we'd have closed you down, as in nothing going on. But the fact of the matter is, there's a lot going on, but it was under the surface. It was in my own life, my prayer life. It was in our marriage. We were learning how to do marriage, you know, how, how to build community. And one of the things that we really started digging uh, deep roots on was the whole culture of prayer. <clears throat> Felt it was a personal call to me to put God first, you know, to love him before I love the ministry. And, and then we started building almost like a house of prayer. You know, Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. So something about a, a passion to seek God and to break through in prayer. And so we had all kinds of different kind of prayer meetings going on. And one of the things we started doing was very early on, we decided we wanted God to move in our meetings. And I got fed up with turning up to, to church meetings. And it felt like you were uh, wading through treacle. I'm sure you've never had that experience, Sim, but we had a few in those early days. And I thought, well, there's a spiritual battle on here. The devil doesn't want this church to get established. So we started fighting the good fight in prayer. 
started having these pre-service prayer meetings. I remember on one occasion, um, we had about a third of the church were turning up for prayer before the meeting. Now, a third was only 17 people, but it was a good ratio. I'd love those ratios now. Um, <clears throat> but long story short, we then moved on to actually having people pray not just before the service, but during the service. And we had this, um, the largest venue we moved into before we ended up building our own building was a kind of four, 500 seater in the center of the city, the regional college. And it had like a sort of staging and underneath they had the place where you go and change. So underneath where you preached, you had this little void area. And so we actually had people lined up under the prayer, un under the, the stage praying away while the person was preaching. I, I, you've, you've heard of Charles Spurgeon, you know, and he, he talked about how he'd have people praying. He called it like a boiler room. And this was like our boiler room, literally just under. The only trouble is sometimes they got a bit too enthusiastic. And so you could hear the sort of the prayer wafting up while someone was preaching. So we had to tell them to turn it down a bit. But but yeah, well, they were radical, kind of pretty passionate days. And, you know, we're living in the good of a lot of that kind of sewing back then. I, I would love to have prayer meetings. We have to tell everyone to keep the noise down uh, what, a, what a great problem to have um, amazing and I know that you know your wife Karen's been so much part of that prayer movement and she's really helped us as a church in recent years establish prayer rhythms and we did quite bluntly steal some of your quality materials she, she sent them to me in the post it was so useful to have support of others and I love okay. the way you've modeled something and it's, it's part of your like you say part of your history not just part of your activity of today um, but you mentioned about your new building and, and if anyone's ever been to Kingsgate it is an impressive building Dave I mean it really is you know incredible resource and it's I mean when I, I remember you first showed me around it it must have been 2010 I think it was 2012 mm -hmm. maybe and it was fairly new I remember you walking around and and I remember there's this beautiful moment where you looked at the building you said it looks impressive but there were a few moments in the run-up to that meeting where I thought I was going to lose my job and I remember you saying that, you know, it could look all glamorous and finished and beautiful, but, you know, there were some challenging times getting to that place. Yeah, big time. So so we, we'd outgrown this kind of regional college facility. We were in three services, having to meet in the afternoon, having to put people out in the dining room, you know, looking in on the. It was all kind of like. And, and so we felt the Lord uh, prompting us to go and look for land. We actually had a prophetic word from Rachel Hickson, uh, you know, by the Lord says buy land. And so, so on the a kind of a leadership conviction and a prophetic word, we started looking for land. We ended up and we found a six acre site in the city. Um, we prayed around it. We started trying to get planning for it. You know, we did, we spoke over it. Thankfully, I'm so glad leadership lesson here. We never actually said, thus saith the Lord, this is the land. Otherwise that would have been a hard one to recover from. Um, but we, we believe the Lord is giving us land. Long story short, again, we went to planning for this particular site and we lost the, at the planning committee on a 4-3 vote, the chairman's casting vote. And I remember going out of this, the town hall, completely gutted. I'm like, you know, and I started almost like rebuking the devil as if right. And I actually felt the Holy Spirit say to me, almost like, wait, this is me. So when the Lord says, this is me and a door's being closed, my mind immediately goes to, okay, Lord, if this is you, you've got something else or something better. And so after about six months, we decided to let that site go. Somebody else located another site for us this time. 
it was tw 12 and a half acres. So maths wasn't my favorite subject, but I know six to 12 and a half is more than double. As you know, it's in a lovely location, much better kind of uh, all the rest of it. And so we ended up buying or, or putting an application in for this 12 and a half acre site. By this time, we've been doing lots of community work in the city, got lots of favor with the chief exec, got the support of the sitting MP and the opposition uh, candidate. And we went back to planning and won it 9-0. So, you know, oh, happy day. But but those kind of days of battling for land were, were hugely, hugely chatty. And then, of course, you've got the whole issue of um, raising the money. One time during the project, we were £900,000 short. Now, that may be small change to you, but that was a lot of money to us. And so, you know, just seeing God supernaturally provide, people's generosity was amazing. It was one of the most exhilarating and exhausting times of our ministry and I can honestly say we had no business experience no building experience there were so many things that we kind of did wrong in the process but by the grace of God he kind of watched our backs and we ended up as you say with this amazing facility and, and it's more than that as someone who's visited your place a number of times it's the way that your community they welcome people that you're hospitable I mean buildings are just buildings but the way they're inhabited and the way you, you create a real sense of encounter and presence of God, it's not just a nice fancy. I've been to lots of fancy buildings that really feel cold and uncomfortable yeah. and unwelcoming. You've turned it into a really warm space. Um, and I think there's a real lovely lesson in what you just said there about sensing the Holy Spirit, even through disappointment. Uh, I, I think, you know, when you came out of that first meeting and being, you know, like despondent, we've, I think we've all been there where as a leader, you thought you had the way forward. You thought you had even God's word on something. Yeah. And then to kind of have to step back and either have to eat humble pie and to sense the spirit. I know for me, I'd, I would feel wronged and aggrieved, but for you to have the sensitivity, I think that's a real powerful lesson uh, to all of us. There was also a test there as well about our attitude towards the city. Because, you know, I think at the time, another faith that will remain nameless had just been given a building. And we had the little bit of a beginning of a chat those few days from people in the church, a sense of injustice. Now, there can be injustice and there can be persecution, but that wasn't this. And I remember just getting up literally that Sunday and saying, big disappointment, guys. Da, da, da. God's in charge. And one thing we're not going to do is we're not going to badmouth the city council. And, and it was almost like it was interesting Then it was the city council and the chief exec who months later almost like was the Cyrus who helped open the door because she had a vision for what we wanted to do for the city. And basically she, she helped the planning process through. But, but again, that was an attitudinal. I think, I think in disappointment, isn't it so easy to get disappointed with people, aggrieved, bitter, discouraged. And I think, you know, those are the kind of testing times when if we can, if we can make the right choices and adopt the right attitudes in a time of crisis, I really do think it prepares us for uh, greater blessings ahead. Well, I mean, let's talk about some of that because we want to talk about well-being and leadership today. Yeah, and you know, you, you can talk about all the success and all the challenges, you know, in, in your journey both as a church as an individual. For you personally, was there like a moment where you thought I need to invest in my well-being? That you know, where things had either got a little bit you know careless or you know things have got a bit comfortable uh, was there a personal moment for you where you suddenly realized I have to do something different yeah I mean it's a great question I mean first you know my conversion was radical and I did kind of it the Lord did set me free in lots of areas sometimes instantly and over a process so it wasn't like I had three decades of malfunction or whatever 
but there was a turning point and actually interestingly um, i say it in the the in the beginning of the book it actually happened in 10 downing streets my one and only visit there and we were there to um a, a church leaders gathering uh waiting for not the current prime minister previous prime minister and um, i started talking with a good friend of mine who heads up another another movement and he was talking about how he and his wife had just gone through a real change of responsibility and it was such a crisis moment for them. His words were, if we hadn't got this help, we would have, we would have just imploded. And he started talking about how they'd got a, a spiritual director <clears throat> and a counsellor or a psychologist to help them with their well-being. And as I listened to this, I thought, well, we're not in crisis, but I'm sure the stuff the Lord wants to do, prevention's better than cure, can you give me those contacts? Because he's a good friend. He gave me these contacts. So I hooked up with the spiritual director and with this Christian psychologist. Karen and I started meeting the Christian psychologist. He did like a full kind of like MOT on us, <clears throat> you know, kind of an assessment of our psychological state and all the rest of it. And I started journeying with the spiritual director. And I think it was just something about, as I look back then, the Lord knew what I needed. And what started to come out, the big, the big deal for me was I'd always been aware of pretty high drive but if you've read any of the like the Pete Scazzaro stuff you know he, he talks about a shadow side of our strengths like I honestly read some of that stuff years ago and he said do you know what your shadow is I said no I haven't a clue I wouldn't I was just not aware enough I was like um but but what came became clear is the shadow side of my drive the drivenness as I started opening my own heart to the Lord and also getting external help what became clear is the root of that drivenness was a fear of failure. And I suddenly started becoming aware of just how much, although I, you know, you might not have seen it outwardly. I mean, Karen says to me reassuringly, well, you weren't that bad back then. I wasn't like manifesting all kinds of awful tendency, but there was an over-revving. I would push too hard. I would, you know, the, I, would inter I was aware I was internally just, just too much stress, too much kind of, going drivenness and um and once i became aware of the fear of failure it was like then the lord could meet me and i suddenly became aware not only of my my need but of god's solution which of course perfect love casts out fear and i started getting a revelation of stuff i believe fully and had an ex a measure of experience of which was the unconditional love of god that just sort of went to another whole area and i honestly cannot think of times when almost like two hours just just in the presence of God and I sensed I was almost being sounds a bit dramatic almost delivered from a sense of fear and it doesn't mean therefore that I've never had to I never have to watch it but something started happening in that time and so and then I started exploring this whole thing I wouldn't have called it well-being I think I would have called it rhythms of replenishment I started studying um, Elijah you know and, and 1 Kings 17 and, and 18 and 19 and how here's a guy who was doing so well and then suddenly from being at the height of his power, you know, 1 Kings 19, he, he completely implodes. And I thought, I don't ever want to get there. And so it's back to this of prevention is better than cure. Maybe I need to start attending to my own well-being. And then I came up with this idea of almost like a dashboard. And, um, you know, imagine like, you, you know, your life, you've got like a dashboard and you've got six dials. You've got a physical dial, you've got an emotional dial, a spiritual dial a relational dial, a financial dial, a vocational dial. As I looked at Elijah's story, 1 Kings 19, all his dials were on red. He was physically exhausted. 
you know, and we sometimes get there, don't we? He was emotionally depleted. He was spiritually destitute. Um, he was materially just broke. He was in the desert, nothing. He was relationally isolated and he was vocationally defeated. I mean, not, not a great picture. And yet God lovingly began to restore him. And I felt the Lord starting giving me some keys for my own life that I then started sharing literally with my own small group. I said, hey, guys, let's let's start attending to our dials here. How are we doing? And regularly we'd ask each other that question. And really what came out of that, I then started sharing it with our, some of our some broader leadership team. And it seemed to resonate. I actually shared a message at the learning communities based on Elijah. And every time I shared this stuff and a bit of the vulnerability of my own story, which is, you know, we need to attend to ourselves before we attend to the ministry. It seemed to resonate. And then out of that, I ended up, we did a sermon series in Kingsgate. I wrote a kind of a book, which was like a pre-version of the published one for Kingsgate. Again, it seemed to hit the mark. And um, yeah, and it's helping a lot of people now. So, But I never set out to think, oh, I, I want to minister to people on well-being. I started with, I want to respond to your call, Lord. Yeah. And, and it is an incredible resource to the churches i remember when i i visited your venue just after you were the first time round 2019 and you had the place plastered in these massive well-being signs yeah and i was hoping to get hold of it within a month but then obviously you know covid pandemic took place and things didn't quite roll out as we thought they might do at the time but but i guess that's changed both your church and you as well and you've now got language to put around how are we doing is more of a is it's a more detailed response you can find because you've got some sort of language to kind of go i've got a dial and says this is on red this is on amber this is on green um, yes. have you changed your routines and habits as a person out of the back of doing that study and that presentation yeah i mean both at the time several years ago and then almost progressively i'm always kind of adjusting where i'm at i mean for me the big dial was the emotional one linked to this fear thing and so just learning just to slow down learning you know almost catching myself if i'm over revving so 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 there's that kind of stuff but even even physically um you know don't mind sharing just a sort of last few months just started putting on a bit a little bit more weight than is good for me and just had a recent kind of blood test and you know my cholesterol's it's not like danger but a bit more and i thought okay i need to do something about this so i'm just on a radical right i'm cutting out this i'm cutting out that i'm cutting out that and the point being I wouldn't say if I'm physically, I'm well, I'm healthy, I'm exercising loads. But even if I'm slipping into the amber zone, I don't want to get anywhere near the red. I want to keep burning on. For, and that's, that's just an almost like an, an intuitive sense of, I didn't, I don't think, oh, I've got a physical dark because I've been doing it for so long now. But the sense of that's an area I need to get a hold of, I need to deal with it. Um, you know, or if my devotions are slipping, I don't want to go months of just becoming a bit lukewarm. And I, I want to kind of, catch it early and deal with it so I think this sense of yeah almost a proactivity into those different areas of life uh, make a massive difference because I remember um, I heard Rick Warren once say you know he said if I'm not in a good place he said within a matter of days I know about it within a matter of weeks my wife will notice but a matter of months my church will then notice and as leaders if our well-being is out of kilter with what we're trying to tell people, you know, that whole mumps and measles type of idea. We, we can say we've got mumps, but if actually we're carrying measles, what will people catch? So as a leader, you have to go first and to set the tone. And yes. I, I mean, that must have been hard when you first sort of stepped out and went, I want to be honest here. These are the dials. This is the story. This is my well-being, and trying to use your own experiences as you 
present those to your large congregation. That's quite a challenging and vulnerable space to be in. How did you find that? Well, it didn't come naturally, but I, I would say some leaders are just, you know, great at what I say, being naturally transparent. They bear all, and that that I, you know, there's there's a there's a wisdom in how far you go in that. But basically, it's a good, you know, you connect with people that way. But for me, it doesn't like come supernatural. It's super easy, I should say. Yeah. It's definitely not supernatural for me to do that. Um, it's it, it, so, so so I had to work on it first, and then I started thinking, well, you know we're all the same. What does it say about Elijah? He was a human being just like we are. And so just beginning to think, you know, you, you can be anointed by God and you can be broken. And the key is actually to almost like close the gap between the call of God and our, you know, and our character and our well-being. So yeah, I, I did find it challenging at first. Now it's kind of, you know, I, I find it fairly easy just to share where I'm at, um, particularly to people close to me. And, um, so, yeah, I'm not getting up every Sunday and saying, guys, I'm in, you know, I need some help here. But I think this issue of, of our health and the impact on others is huge. I, I really do believe that my best gift to the Lord, to myself, to my wife and to the church is a, is a healthy, wholesome me. If I'm becoming more like Jesus, if I'm staying on fire for him, there's almost like there's just an ease in ministry, even through tough times. If I'm allowing my tanks or my dials to get low, everything else just becomes so much harder. So, so I think if I was to share anything to leaders listening, it was, you know, what does Paul say to Timothy? I think it's in 1 Timothy 4.16, you know, attend or watch your life and your doctrine closely. Watch your life. And, you know, we could obviously think, well, watch you don't sin. Well, that ought to be pretty obvious if you're in Christian leadership. But I think it's more than that. Attend to your soul. Attend to your well-being you know, make sure you're living in the good of walking with the God of Psalm 23. He's a good God. He loves you. He's for you. He wants to <clears throat> lead you uh, beside still waters and into green pastures. He wants to restore your soul. So I think almost just not feeling guilty about attending to your own replenishment um, is, is just huge. Now, and I, one of the comments you made in the book I found really fascinating. You said, you know, it's not just about making sure one of your dials is in a good place. So, you know, yes. classic for a church leader would be going, well, I'm spiritually in a really good place, but my relationships are out of kilter or my my physical health and well-being is not good. That will have an impact upon your whole well-being. hundred percent. Yeah. And so for, for me, you see, so the issue of my emotional well-being, which was the kind of area I had to work on. When I started getting freer and healthy emotionally, I experienced a greater closeness with the Lord because I could actually be still and know that he's God. It helped me physically. I mean, there was a time when, you know, and I still have to um, work on my sleep, but there's a time when I really was not sleeping well. It wasn't a physical issue, it was an emotional issue. And of course, if you're not sleeping well, it affects you physically and emotionally in every other way. So it's a bit of a kind of a chicken and egg. And yeah, I mean, the whole issue of our relational well-being, of course, is massive, isn't it? If I'm if I'm in dissonance, if if there's if there's just stuff not right in in relationships, that has a massive impact on my emotions and vice versa. So you're right; it all it all linked. <laughs> well, you're right. I was just quoting what you said in your book, David. Yeah. Um, and you know, love people to get hold of a copy of that God's plan for your well-being. It's a 50-day Bible study, and uh, we're running it through at our church. We're doing it in groups of six. 
Um, so we can then gather either at the moment we can gather in, in different locations and and some of people are doing in, in groups of uh, the same gender and they find that useful to have men together or women together yes. so you can talk more honestly and openly I suppose that's been really useful and thank you for that um, one of the things I want to ask you Dave is about um, leadership particularly I know it's something that I've personally I've benefited from watching you listening to you learning from you I know you're really passionate about investing in leaders I know that I've been privileged part of the Learning Communities Programme, which gathers, I don't know what the number is now, 70 plus churches from around Europe, isn't it, who have been gathering, uh, mainly at Kingsgate, but has been online as well. And, um, you know, one of my highlights of every time we go away for these two, three days together has been your presentation and just bringing it all back to scripture, bringing it back down to, you know, the mission of the church. Um, what's this is this a change for you about being committed to not just the church you're leading but to leaders of other churches it's become a real sort of um, a drive for you I suppose yes uh, uh, definitely I mean I think I think you know back to a horse with blinkers on I really felt for the first kind of 18-20 years the Lord actually saying I want you to bed down I want you to dig deep I want you to build a house and almost not um, so too widely not get caught in a conference circuit not kind of you know so so I thought okay that's fine I don't need all that you know so in one sense I was never looking for that um and then about oh gosh I'm trying to think how long are we meeting now about six seven years ago it must be about eight years ago I had a uh, two meetings within 24 hours with two different key leaders from the U.S. both of them basically asked me the same thing how about we partner together and do a learning communities for the for the UK and Europe. I won't go into the background of why they were asking it. And I thought, well, okay. So there's the two of them asking. Let's do something together. So basically, it was a partnership born out of Kingsgate, uh, myself with these other two leaders and these two organisations and churches in in the US. And so it's one of these things that I actually felt it was a gift from God. It wasn't something I'd actually honestly been praying about. Um, you know, I've always had a heart for the UK always had a heart for revival, partly due to some of my own studies. Um, and so I can honestly say it's been one of the just greatest grace gifts, the opportunity and the privilege, really. I count it as a huge privilege to invest in other leaders. You know, the fact that we meet twice a year. I mean, there's quite a lot of preparation in the run up, but it's not something I'm having to deal with every day. And so for me, I think, you know, from the feedback, I think it's pretty impactful to a lot of people. Um, but we're not had to have Having to sort of, we're not taking governmental responsibility over those churches. We're thrilled that there are people from all different backgrounds and denominations. And one of the things I love about that is it is strengthening churches in their own leadership, because, as you know, you come together with your leaders, don't you? It's almost like a retreat away. You can brainstorm and hear God together. We learn from experts. But one of the things I love about the learning is we learn from each other. And, you know, I think one of my passions is revival. And I do believe one of the keys to revival is unity. And if there can be almost like the streams coming together to make glad, you know, the, the, making the, the river of God, if there's, a, if there's an, a, an overflow of this, that it's one of the ways that's helping key leaders come together, then that's, a, a, that's just a huge bonus. So I feel really excited about it. And I do think maybe it's a sort of an age thing and a time of life, but anything we can do to strengthen others, whether it be things like the wellbeing journey, whether it be things like learning communities, it's it's just it's a joy it almost feels like too much fun to be called work oh, i'm glad Most it's fun 
Well, my leadership team, my leadership team love coming <laughs> along. They love being loved by the team at Kingsgate, and that we learn so much together. We really value just being together and learning with others. So you're in the same room, but you're having your own space. It's a, it's a lovely yeah. connection that you've created. So what what are you working on now, then, Dave? What's your new thing? If you know you've done the well-being thing, you've done the forty days with Jesus. Uh, what's your kind of new? Uh, thing you're grappling with at the moment is there a little sneak preview you can give us yeah sure I mean I, I think there's two things I, I do feel particularly because of some changes locally and you know I do think that coming out of COVID and helping the church just recover and get restored so we're doing a whole series on Acts 1 and 2 just and we're calling it Revivus and so it's a cry for the Lord to and so I'm feeling almost like I'm digging back into local church investing in younger leaders want to bring Kingsgate out into a sort of a new place and hopefully a better place than even 13 months ago. So, so I've got a lot of focus right now back on the church, um, Kingsgate. But, but in terms of a kind of a project, um, you mentioned 40 Days of Jesus, which is, you know, this sort of study of the post-resurrection appearances. I've been on quite a long journey with um, Hope, um, Roy, Crown, Rachel, Jordan Wolf. And with the Bible Society, working with Andrew Ollerton, who, you know, was part of Kingsgate and is still on our teaching team, good friend. So we're working together on what hopefully is going to be a, a huge project for the church in the UK for Easter 2022 around, we call it, we're probably going to call it Alive. And we want to produce not exact same style, but similar to kind of well-being. You know, I'm probably going to rewrite the book. We're going to do some videos, equip churches with sermons so that rather than just a sort of a, a one off wonder at Easter Sunday, churches are going to have this whole sense of a campaign of impact in their communities with, uh, you know, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus then. The wonder of the fact that he's alive now and the certainty of our future resurrection, all of which I think are pretty huge central issues. So, yeah, so it's around the whole resurrection thing. And going to be working on that over the next few months. So Great. Well, we've heard keep... it here first. Um, yeah, a little yeah. preview. Look at that. Thank should you so much. That mischief. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to already getting my teeth into that one. So I'll, I'll keep a little gap in the diary for 2022. Then around yeah, Easter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Fantastic, David. David, our last question then for me. Just um, you know, you've given some really helpful advice to those who are listening today. Um, we know that those who are listening to this podcast are going to really value your leadership advice, and especially around the area of well-being. But we know that when leaders get better, everyone wins. So what final piece of advice? If you had a leader came to your office today who said, I want to improve as a leader, what could I do? What would your advice be? Well, I think, I think it's kind of reinforcing what we've already touched on. I think it's this sense of an absolute intentionality about your own Christ-likeness, well-being and health, and not just to let it just assume you will be well, because ministry can be tough life can be pressured you know we've just been through probably the most tough leadership season any of us could have imagined I mean church hasn't been you know we haven't been in church personally many of us for in effect for 13 months I know some churches have carried on gathering in small numbers so it's been a massive challenge to all of our well-being so I would say be intentional be proactive and I do think this thing of actually think about the dashboard of your life, you know, it's not a book plug, but, you know, why not just get a hold of the book or the, or the well-being journey in it, but don't just do it for others. Think about yourself. First of all, you know, are, are you like Elijah? Have you got any red zones? And then start working on some of those areas. I, I, you know, one of the keys for me back to that Downing Street experience and that was actually to get external help. You may say, well, I don't know anybody who can help. 
you know, you must, you might have a denominational leader. You don't have to go to a specialist psychologist or whatever, although that may help. Just get somebody who you can outwardly process with, because sometimes they can help you see your blind spots. The whole thing about a blind spot, we can't see it, you see. So, so, so I would say, you know, make sure you do your well-being in community with us. So be proactive, you know, make sure you're learning together with others. And then I think just take next steps. I mean, I've talked about some game-changing moments, some crisis moments, but you and I have been around long enough to know that. Actually, the Christian life is a process as much of a crisis. And sometimes it's a question of just little steps of obedience. The more the Lord may say, I want you to tweak your devotions. Okay. I want you to be really disciplined about taking a Sabbath. Okay, Lord. I want you to up your exercise. Okay, Lord. I want you to um, lose some weight. Okay, Lord. And then we, you think, does the Lord interest in that? Yeah, because he's interested in all of us. Well-being is holistic. Shalom covers every part of our life. And so not try and fix everything all at once, but take little steps, next steps, next steps. And you'll look back as I can do and say, wow, I'm in so much a better place than four years ago. And so I'd encourage you start making changes now. Don't be discouraged. It's not, you're not going to be always on a kind of a, an upward trajectory, but keep going. God's with you. The spirit's inside of you. He loves you. He's got a great plan for you. And you'll be able to look back and think, actually an area where I was stuck, suddenly I'm free. An area where I was making no progress. Look at how much I've changed. Dave, this is such wonderful advice. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for your input, for your conversation, and thank you for your investment in the church and our well-being. We really do appreciate all you're giving to us today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Great to be with you, sir. What a great conversation with Dave Smith today. I hope you found that really helpful. He reminds us to be intentional with our Christ-likeness, our well-being and our health, to never assume that we will be well, but reminds us that life is tough and we need to be proactive and take that next step, however small it might be. Maybe one of those steps today will be to get hold of Dave's book, God's Plan for Your Well-Being. I cannot recommend it highly enough. All this information will be available on the show notes and on our website. And finally, it just leaves me to say thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Leecher Podcast with myself, Sim Dendy. If I can ask you to do one thing, if you have enjoyed what you've heard today, please do share it with others. It's our first episode. We want other people to join in. Send it to someone on WhatsApp. Write a social media post about it. Leave a rating or review of the podcast. Whatever works for you, it would really help us out as we get started. So you can find all those free downloadable resources on our website, www.theleadershippodcast.uk. And we've set up a Facebook group for leaders to connect and build community. Do get involved. We'd love to hear from you. In the next episode, myself and our producer, Ed, will be responding to your thoughts and your questions from what has been shared today by Dave Smith. So please do get in touch with your comments, with your questions on the Facebook group. We would love to hear from you. We hope this really has helped to serve you and your leadership because we do know that when the leader gets better, everyone wins.